When I say to you the initials FDR, most of us in here know who I'm talking about. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was one of the great Americans. He was the only person to be elected president four times. While he was in office, the country went through some interesting times. He led us through the Depression. He was president during the World War II. And most of us know and remember that he contracted polio as an adult in the summer of 1921. Franklin was a great runner. He was a good golfer. And he was a wonderful dancer, it's, uh, it's told. I can't imagine going through life knowing that my legs don't work like he did, especially with him a rising politician and people all over thinking, this man is meant for great things. At first, after the diagnosis, his family and his doctors didn't tell him the severity of it because they were afraid that that when he heard it, he would just kind of swallow up and be, be made not whole again. There's a book written by John Ortberg. Um, he's read a lot of good books. And it's called, If You Want to Walk on the Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. FDR could have just kind of faded away and let the polio rule his life, but he didn't. Instead, he got out of the boat and waited to see what God had planned for him. And the rest, as they say, is history. He was elected president the first time in 1936 when he defeated Herbert Hoover and became president of the United States. There's another great book. It's called Three Days at the Brink by Brett Baer. And it's telling the story, really, of the life of FDR. But it takes place, and the focus is in the Second World War, when FDR took the gamble to join Stalin and Churchill to prepare for what was coming, that would be D-Day and the end of the war. And he, he probably saved a year, a year and a half, and, and so many people that would have died. But there's a passage in there where he talks about when FDR defeated Herbert Hoover. And, and on the night that that happened, he, he had a great conversation with his son, James. And James had taken his father home to put him to bed. And they talked a little while uh, on this famous night. And then as James rose to leave, FDR said, Jimmy, said, all my life, I've only been afraid of one thing, fire. But tonight, I think I'm afraid of something else. He said, what is it, Paul? He said, I'm just afraid that I don't have the strength to do this job. This moment of self-doubt he would share with only James, but it was so, he's the most trusted person that he had. But his father went on and he said, after you leave tonight, Jimmy, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God will help me, will give me the strength and the guidance to do this job and to do it right. 
and I hope you'll pray for me too. In other words, FDR got out of the boat. In our Gospel of Matthew today, we have another person who is in a tense storm who gets out of his boat. We see that after a long day of teaching, of healing, of driving out demons from people, and feeding a multitude, Jesus demands that his, bo his boys, his disciples, get in a boat and leave. Now, Matthew doesn't share with us the deal here, but that's not like Jesus. But he, it, if you read the same passage in John about the feeding of the 5,000, you see that the people there after this entire day, they were ready to make him Messiah right then. And of course, as he said many times before, it is not my time. It's not my time. And so he dismissed the boys, sent them in the boat, dismissed the crowd as only God can, and he went up on the mountain to pray to his father and commune there. But from his mountain perch, he could see the struggles that the disciples were having because where that mountain is, you can see the lake or the Sea of Galilee. And there was a storm that had, that had rose up quickly. And he could see that they were being buffeted by the winds and the waves. And so you expect him to go immediately and calm the storm. But he doesn't do it. Have you ever been in the midst of a storm and you knew that God was coming, or at least you hoped God was coming? But it takes its own sweet time to get there. In this storm, Jesus does come. He shows up in the early morning dark, walking on the water. The boys were frightened enough at the storm itself. And some of these guys were professional fishermen. So they'd been through this before. But right in the middle of the storm, they see this apparition coming toward them. And they are screamed in terror. It's a ghost. But Jesus says, take courage. Be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. It is I. Now, when you read that, if you read the Greek, it's the translation, it is I, is not really the translation. Because it's the same word that God used when he talked to Moses from the burning bush. You remember that story where Moses is tending the flocks of his father-in-law, Jethro, in Midian, and he looks over and he sees this bush, and it's burning, but it's not being consumed. So he goes over to check it out, and God speaks to him and says, Moses, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. And so he says, I have heard the cries of my people. And I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses, of course, said, yeah, right. You know, we've been slaves there for 400 years. How, how do you expect them to let us go? He said, by the way, who am I to tell them sent me? Because they're not going to believe me. And God said, tell them I am sent you. I am. That's the correct so when it says, take courage, I am. Don't be afraid. 
Then Peter says those famous words, Lord, if it's you, call me out. Call me out on the water. Of course, Jesus, with a smile on his face, can you see that? He says, come, come on out. He didn't say, hey, Peter, uh, you're not going to be able to do this. No, he said, come on, come on out. So Peter gets out of the boat. Now, I have tried to imagine what that was like to stand on the top of the water and, and, and walk, even on a calm day. But here in this storm, but he had, Peter was laser-focused on Jesus. And as long as he focused on Jesus, he walked on the water. But something must have happened. Either a wave hit him or, or the wind got so loud, but he, he lost his concentration. And he began to look at the circumstances that surround him. He began to look at the storm and to take his eyes off Jesus. And once he did that, he began to sink. And as he sank, he began to say, Lord, save me. I love those words. There's a, there's a song or a hymn that we used to sing. I don't think we've ever sang it at St. Francis. But it's called, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face, And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory and grace. He took his eyes off Jesus. When you, when you look at Jesus, when you understand that everything is going to be okay, but when you take your eyes off, well, there's three thoughts I want to ponder today. The nearness of God to save us, the willingness of God to save us, and the ability of God to save us. The nearness of God. You know, when Peter began to sink, you didn't see Jesus running over to him. He just reached out and touched him. He was that close. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul tells us that did you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? And most of us know that when we come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Okay? It's God gives us His Spirit to not only be around us or near us, but in us. You and I know that inside of us we have a heart, we have lungs, we have a liver, we have all sorts of parts that are necessary for life. But did you know that God has called you a temple of the Holy Spirit? God has given you the Spirit that dwells within you. Now think about this. A temple is a holy place. Have you ever been to Europe and been into some of those cathedrals or, or even National Cathedral in, in Washington? But the, a temple is a holy place set apart by God. And no one in their right mind would desecrate a temple because we see the beauty of it. We see the, the majestic nature of it and its sacredness. But you see, I'm not talking about the buildings. I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me because we are the temples of God. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit that has come upon us. And we are those temples set aside by God, for God. And within us lives a power. 
the power that is God, the Holy Spirit. Paul says it's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That same Spirit lives in you. Within us is the triune God in the person of the Holy Spirit. That means wherever we go, God goes with us. Wherever we go, we take the divine spirit with us because he dwells within us. So when I, I used to say, God is closer than your breath, and he really is because he's inside of you. He, he inhabits your breath. He inhabits your very being. God is near us. He's in us. The book of James tells us that when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. So the nearness of God is not an issue. God is right there. How about the willingness of God to save us? Is God willing? There's a wonderful passage in the eighth chapter of Matthew about a man with leprosy, and he comes and he kneels down before Jesus. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me whole. You can make me clean. And without hesitation, Jesus reaches out to this unclean person and touches him. Didn't bother Jesus, but he said, I am willing. Be clean. Be clean. And immediately the man was cleansed of his leprosy. God is willing to make you and I whole from whatever where our need is. All we need to do is believe in him and trust him and follow him. I don't know if you're doing this, but Evelyn and I are reading the 100 Bible Challenge. And this past week, there was a passage that we read, and it was about the, the Last Supper, where Jesus institutes the Eucharist to the, to, to the disciples where the, his, his body and blood are represented by the bread and the wine. And the question, we have a book that has, have, has the readings and has questions in it afterwards. And the question for this reading was, how do you pray when you come back from, the, from taking the Eucharist or communion? Evelyn and I answered it the very same question, the same way. We said, we thank him for what he's done for us on the cross, the sacrifice that he made for us. In, second, in 1 Timothy 2, uh, Paul tells Timothy that this pleases God, God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So is God willing to do that? Yes, absolutely. So if we agree that God is near us, we agree that he's willing to save us? What about his ability to do so? Can God do it? Can he deliver us? When Peter asked to come to Jesus, Jesus simply said, come. Peter made a common mistake, the mistakes that you and I make all the time. He took his eyes off Jesus. He made the mistake that you and I need to avoid because if we truly trust God, when we have a problem, we have some, this unmistakable and unimaginable problem that stands before us, 
Do we doubt the ability of God, of God to, to handle it? Or do we give it to him and no matter how it comes, we know that he's hurt us, that he's near us, and that he's going to take care of it? No, what we do is we forget how big God is. And God is big. We forget that this is the same God who parted the Red Sea so that the million and change of, of Hebrew people could walk on dry land across to escape the Egyptians. Or we forget that he gave this little shepherd boy, David, the ability and the wherewithal to not only defeat the Goliath, but to kill him as well. We forget that God gave Gideon and his 300 measly soldiers the ability to, to destroy the Midian army of 10,000 men. Or we forget that God is big enough to raise Lazarus from the dead. Or whatever other amazing and mighty acts that we can think of. But you have to ask yourself, why does he do that? Why, why does he do that for us? He does it because he wants to spend eternity with us. He wants to save us so that we might live with him in eternity simply because he loves us far more than we'll ever understand and far more than we'll ever des deserve. So when you doubt God's nearness in your life or his willingness to take care of you and to save you or his ability to save you, Simply turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen.